What we're going to do tonight is to piece together a veritable scripture jigsaw puzzle. We're going to find the pieces in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke and in John. What we're not going to do is try and analyse why each detail is in which gospel. That's another massive subject to look at. What we're going to try and do is put them together in order that we might comprehend what happened on that Passover morning. And putting them together in this way will give us a picture of a monstrous injustice. We'll see the appalling wickedness of the Jews, the weakness of Pilate and the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to bear in mind as we consider these verses that Jesus' trials before Pilate and indeed Herod occupied about five hours and we're going to work through this in about 40 minutes. It was a long process. And I'm sure there's a lot that was said that isn't recorded for us. But what is recorded is for our learning. And we need to remember that this is not an academic study. An innocent man, a totally innocent man, is being sentenced to death. And through the death that followed this trial that we're going to look at, we have hope of eternal life. So all the way through, we must constantly think of and remember the Lord Jesus. So <clears throat> Jesus' trials before the Jews were complete. They had found him guilty of blasphemy and they had determined that he was worthy to die. But of course, they couldn't execute him. Only the Romans had that power. So they have to take Jesus to Pilate. Now, before we actually look at the verses, just think about this question. For what offence under Roman law did the Jews expect Pilate to sign Jesus' death warrant? Just think about that. And now let's look at John 18 and verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. So just visualize the situation. Pilate is in his judgment hall waiting. That's clear because verse 29 says, Pilate then went out unto them. So he was in the judgment hall. It was probably about seven o'clock in the morning. Was that normal for Pilate to be there at that time? We don't know, but I would think probably not. And that's a piece of jigsaw that we've got to fit in. So Pilate's in the judgment hall. The Jews are clearly outside. Verse 28 says so. And Jesus has been taken to the judgment hall. So the Jews who held him would hand him over to Romans, who would take him in to the judgment hall before Pilate. <clears throat> and Pilate had the authority to interrogate the prisoner. Pilate will later on say, I have examined him. So a conversation took place between Pilate and Jesus. We don't know what was said. We do know the details of later conversations between Jesus and Pilate. And Jesus spoke about deep things 
which were beyond Pilate's comprehension. I suggest that Pilate was disturbed in mind by what Jesus said to him. And we'll see more of that later. So he goes out, verse 29, and says to the Jews, what accusation bring ye against this man? And clearly the Jews were taken aback that question, for they answered in verse 30 and said unto him, if he were not a malefactor, an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. They were not expecting this question from Pilate. They had no charge prepared. The best they can say is, well, if he wasn't an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him. But they have no charge. And I suggest that these hints in John 18 are telling us that possibly the night before, the Jews had gone to Pilate and said, there's a notorious individual in our nation who's been causing trouble for the last three and a half years. He's in Jerusalem now for the Passover, and we fear he's going to start a riot. You don't want a riot on Passover day, do you? So if we bring him to you, having sentenced him to death under our law, will you please ratify the death sentence so we can quickly get him crucified? And then we will guarantee to you that you'll have a peaceful Passover in Jerusalem. But that private conversation between Jesus and Pilate changed Pilate's mind. He determined he was going to do this properly. So he asked the Jews the question and they can't answer him. So verse 31, then said Pilate unto them, take ye him and judge him according to your law. If you've got no charge under Roman law, you take him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. He had to die by crucifixion. The scriptures required it. God's will must be fulfilled. Despite Pilate, despite the Jews, God was in control. And Jesus was willing to do the will of his father. So let's turn now to Luke and chapter 23. Luke 23 and verse 1. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. We've already seen that in John. But now Luke says in verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. So the Jews have been thinking fast. What will get us a Roman death sentence? And they come up with three charges. He was perverting the nation, meaning that he was seeking to turn it aside from the right path, which was totally false because Jesus had been seeking to turn the nation to the right path, to God. Forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, which again is the absolute opposite to the truth. When Jesus was shown a penny, he said, it's got Caesar's inscription on it, give it to him. And saying that he is Christ, a king, well, that was the confession that they had obtained from him under oath. Art thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? And he had assented. So they now have three charges against him. 
that they have given to Pilate. Back to John, John 18 and verse 33. <clears throat> With those three charges, Pilate entered again into the judgment hall and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Sayest thou this of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? So Pilate is giving Jesus the opportunity to testify, as Roman law required. As Agrippa said to Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate said therefore unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? So Jesus totally diffuses the third charge and then states his work, which is to bear witness. Come back to Isaiah and chapter 55, where the prophet speaks of him who was to come. Isaiah 55 and verse 4. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. The latter part is yet to come. But Jesus was a witness. He's called in the book of Revelation, the faithful and true witness. So Pilate, having heard this, comes out again. John 18, verse 38. When he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. That's Pilate's verdict. That's the first verdict that Pilate gives, having interrogated the prisoner. He is not guilty. There is no fault in him, let alone a fault that makes him worthy of death. But of course, that wasn't the verdict that the Jews wanted. So let's now go to Mark's record, Mark chapter 15. The chief priests are stirred up by this and they start to work even harder to try and get a guilty verdict out of Pilate. So Mark 15 verse 3. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Pilate was amazed. He'd never seen an accused man behave like this. So over to Luke, Luke 23 and verse 4. We've got there the charges and Pilate's question. And then in verse 4, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. 
there's verdict number two, despite the multitude of accusations. But that only inflamed the chief priests the more. So verse five, they were the more fierce, saying, he stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. And as soon as Pilate hears that word, he sees an opportunity and he seizes it. Galilee? Is he a Galilean? Yes, he is. Well, then, says Pilate, he's nothing to do with me. He comes under Herod's jurisdiction. So verse 7, as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And again, the Jews are totally frustrated in their desire to get a verdict out of Pilate, to get the death sentence. So, verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb so opened he not his mouth. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. So again, the Jews are frustrated. Herod, as we shall see in a minute, has found him not guilty of any crime. So back to Mark 15 and verse 6. Now, at that feast, he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. A crowd had now gathered outside Pilate's judgment hall, because this custom was established, and the people wanted to see it happen. They came to ask for the customary release. Verse 7, there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. So that was a concern for the priests. They wanted to get all this over and done with early in the morning. But now there was a multitude. Barabbas was a violent man. He stirred up the people. The very charge that Pilate had dismissed against Jesus. So Pilate now calls the accusers together. Luke 23 and verse 13. Immediately following on from the trial before Herod. Luke 23 verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. That's not guilty verdict number three. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you unto him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. Not guilty verdict number four. But then Pilate makes a fatal error. Verse 16, I will therefore chastise him, and release him 
for of necessity he must release one unto them at feast. Pilate has just said twice, this man is not guilty of anything of which he had been accused. So why scourge him? And not only that, he asks them if it is okay to release Jesus. John chapter 18 and verse 39. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And Pilate's authority is beginning to diminish. He's asking them what he can and can't do. And if we now go to Matthew 27, we find that the record there is even more devastating. Matthew 27 and verse 17. Immediately following the context of the release of a prisoner and Barabbas. Matthew 27 and 17. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye, will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Jesus was not guilty. So his release should have been automatic. And now a unique detail in Matthew, verse 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. That's her verdict. He is a just man. He is righteous. He has done no wrong. And that puts even more pressure on Pilate. The multitude had asked for a prisoner to be released. So verse 20, the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So back to Luke, Luke 23 and verse 18. And they cried out all at once saying, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. And Pilate knows that that is unjust. So verse 20, Pilate therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried saying, crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Here's not guilty verdict number five. But verse 23, they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. Pilate starts to cave in. He sees a riot situation developing. So what can he do about Jesus? Matthew 27 and verse 22. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. 
And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out no more, saying, let him be crucified. Not guilty verdict number six. But Pilate is being pressured into a situation which he does not want to be in. He's being beaten down by the Jews. So back to Luke, Luke 23 and verse 24. We read in verse 23, the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had designed. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And if you read on in Luke, the, the next event is that they led him away and laid hold on Simon the Cyrenian, that he might bear the cross after Jesus. As far as this record in Luke is concerned, that's the end of his trial before Pilate. But it isn't at all. Turn back to John. And now we come to John 19. And we're going to stay with John 19 now. Um, all the way through because the details that were recorded in John 19 which brother Joe read for us are unique to John they don't appear in any of the other gospels so the account of Jesus trial before Pilate begins in John and it ends in John and the first thing that happens we read in verse 19 verse 1 of chapter 19 then Pilate who's passed the death sentence now as we've read in Luke Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Not guilty verdict number seven then came jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and saith unto them behold the man now the authorized version text has the word pilot in there but it's in italics it's not in the greek it's not in young's literal translation of this verse I believe that it was Jesus himself who said those words because those words are found in five Old Testament passages and every one of them in some way points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 and look at the first occurrence. Genesis chapter 3, Adam has sinned. And we read at verse 22, Genesis chapter 3. And Yahweh Elohim said, Behold the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore Yahweh Elohim sent him forth of the God. And here now is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who knows good and evil. 
but always did that which was good and never any evil, unlike his father Adam. The next passage is in Judges chapter 13. Time and time Pilate said of this man, I find in him no fault at all. Well, there was none. He was without sin. Judges chapter 13, we have Manoah's wife who sees an angel who tells her that she's going to bear a child. And Manoah prays that the man of God whom she has seen might come again. So Judges 13 verse 9. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah has a conversation with the angel, ending up by asking, What is his name? Verse 18, The angel of Yahweh said unto him, why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is, margin, wonderful? And of course that points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ via Isaiah 9.16, via Isaiah 9.6, where wonderful is one of the names that is attributed to him. The next occurrence is in the first book of Samuel in chapter 9. Israel have desired a king. And God is going to provide a king for them. And he tells this to Samuel. And the next day Saul comes. So in verse 16 of 1 Samuel 9, God says to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. Verse 17. And when Samuel saw Saul, Yahweh said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. And of course, that's absolutely true of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the man born to be king. He's going to sit on the throne of his father, David, and rule over the tribes of Israel. And then we go to Ezekiel and chapter 9. In Ezekiel chapter 8, Ezekiel sees all the abominations which are being committed in Jerusalem and in the temple particularly. And in chapter 9, he sees six men with slaughter weapons and one man among them clothed in linen with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And the men go forth and fulfill their commission. We read in verse 11 of Ezekiel 9, And behold the man! clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. And those words are absolutely true of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did everything which his father had commanded him. And finally, Zechariah and chapter 6. Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12. And Zechariah is sent to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. 
And he's told in verse 12 to speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh Yahweh of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place and shall build the temple of Yahweh. The accusation the Jews brought against Jesus was that he said he would destroy the temple. Even he shall build the temple of Yahweh, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. He is indeed the man whose name is the branch, who will build the temple of Yahweh in the future age. And the Jews would know all of these passages. They would hear those words from the Old Testament. But their hearts were hardened by now. So John 19 and verse 6. When Jesus has said unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And there's the eighth and final not guilty verdict from Pilate. But still, the drama is not over. Verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. So Pilate's already in a state of fearfulness because he knows that the man before him is innocent. And yet he has condemned him to death. And when he hears that Jesus may be the son of God, he is the more afraid. And went again into the judgment hall and said unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greatest sin. And Jesus, who is speaking these words to Pilate, is a man who has been scourged by the Romans. And yet he can say this, scourged and mocked, he can have this conversation with Pilate. Verse 12, and from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. He's still trying to do that which he knows is right. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whoso maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. The Jews will go to any lengths to achieve their wicked end. So Pilate makes one last attempt to achieve justice. Verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour, nine o'clock in the morning, sorry, midday, midday, 
This trial has been going on now for probably about five hours. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. The Jews abandoned everything their nation should have stood for and rejected their Messiah. Then, verse 16, Pilate delivered he them for, therefore him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. John 19, verse 16 is part of a sequence. Begins in Matthew 27 and verse 2. Matthew 27, verse 2. And when they had bound Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. John 19, verse 16, then delivered Pilate, Jesus, therefore, unto them to be crucified. Turn on to Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. Acts 2, verse 23, Peter speaking of Jesus him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And finally in this sequence, Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. Romans 8, verse 31 for the context. What shall we say, then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And we should say to those, those verses, brothers and sisters, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. So what do we learn from this trial of the Lord Jesus Christ before Pilate? The most serious lesson, I think, is the way that Pilate collapses under pressure. He knows that Jesus is innocent. He knows that Jesus is a just man. He knows that Jesus has done nothing to merit death. Yet he gave the sentence that the Jews wanted. Peer pressure. The pressure of the world can come upon us just as the pressure came upon Pilate. And we have to be resolute, brothers and sisters, that we don't collapse under it as he did. And there are plenty of other examples in scripture of people who were put in under pressure and gave in. The second lesson is that the words and actions of the Jewish rulers so show just what flesh is capable of. They had an objective and they were determined to achieve it, whatever the cost. And we are flesh, just as they were. The flesh has to be crucified. Its works have to be mortified if we would be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Uh, and the third great lesson, of course, is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He knew his father's will. He knew exactly what was laid out before him. And he allowed Jew and Gentile to do those things to him, to fulfill the will of his father, that he might offer that perfect sacrifice for sin. James says, take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. And of course, there is no greater example than Jesus, the greatest of all the prophets of suffering affliction and of patience. So if we are tempted to retaliate, if we're tempted to succumb to pressure to do evil, if we're tempted to seek our own advantage, may we heed the example which he set before Pilate's judgment seat and be imitators of him. 